Jesse, you need to go and see a doctor. I could barely hear those words over the phone in my kitchen, but it was a moment at the end of a week where my hearing was somehow inexplicably deteriorating. At, at this point in my week, I was almost deaf and I was talking to my grandmother on the phone trying to figure out what should I, what should I do? And it started small, like it was, it was something I initially ignored and downplayed, uh, but there was no ignoring it anymore. Something had to be done and I had no idea what was happening to me and I didn't have any control over it. I felt helpless. You ever feel that way? Like, like this, is, this is one of the most challenging things to discover in life. You are not in control. And for me, I, I can't think of many things that make me more uncomfortable or afraid as the feeling of helplessness. And it's this feeling that often drives us to prayer. Now, prayer shouldn't be only coming up when we feel helpless, but it often does when we do feel that way. And so what do we do with that feeling? That the Bible presents to us this, this notion that prayer changes things. And if you're like me, you grew up believing that prayer does something, or at least that prayer could do something. And if it is as important as the Bible says, if it is as essential as Christianity claims, then we better know what this is. What is prayer? And fortunately, we have some instruction on this. And so we come to our text today in Luke chapter 11, where the first followers of Jesus come with this very important request. Starting in Luke chapter 11, Verse 1, now Jesus was praying, as he often did in Luke's gospel, regularly, repeatedly. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. It would have been common in this time and in this place for a teacher, uh, a rabbi, to be asked a question like this. But I wonder if in our time and in our place, if this is the question we would have asked. Like if, if we could ask Jesus any question, would it be this? And I think if you, if you, do you realize that actually in all of the gospels, the only place we ever see a how-to lesson from Jesus to his followers is right here. And the subject is prayer. Maybe not the first subject you would search for a podcast in or a church sermon about, but it's prayer. And it makes me think about how seriously I think about prayer. Like, do I pray in a way that shows I really think I need prayer in my life? Like in, an, in a time where we've, got, where we've got Amazon Prime, where we've got Skip the Dishes, where we've got Uber and Google to come through for us when we need something, what is the role that prayer can play? What do we do with it? And regardless of the age we are or the time we live in, each of us deeply value two things. We value and search for security and significance. We all wanna feel safe. We all wanna feel valued. And amidst these desires, Jesus claims in places like John 10 that he's come to offer us, to give us abundant life, 
life to the full, in fact. So as a Christian, somebody who has given his life to Jesus, and I, as I follow him and know him and seek to love him better, I am I'm thinking about this when it comes to experiencing life to the full in Jesus there's some dynamics that I, that I believe and I recognize, and it's similar to Luke's time when he's writing this about prayer, but it's also similar to our time. So to experience the abundant life Jesus offers, I recognize five things. Number one, I will not always be able to depend on the support of the government. Number two, to experience the abundant life Jesus offers, I will not always be able to depend on the approval of others or the culture as a whole. Number three, I will not always be able to depend on the faithfulness of those I look up to. Number four, I will not always be able to depend on my own skills, wisdom, experience, and resources. But, number five, what Jesus tells me is trustworthy. And one of the things he tells me, tells us, is how to pray. So look at these next verses and what he says. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. This prayer has been commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches it in several places. The most well-known is probably Matthew chapter 6, where we get a fuller and more expanded version. And it's worth doing a deep dive in sometime, line by line, phrase by phrase, verb by verb, because it encompasses depth and breadth and the fullest human experience as, as we unpack it. But today I want to camp out on one thing, and it's the thing of, of who Jesus says we are praying to. Look at this word, Father. Here's what I believe Jesus wants to see. Here, here's the key. Prayer does something because of who we are praying to. This is, this is not the prayer of vague spirituality. This is not the prayer to a God generically. No, this is prayer to a Father in heaven. Now, this, this imagery may not be positive for you, depending on the experience of family you've had, and, and it might be a process in community or with, by God's Spirit and His Word to, to embrace this type of language. But for all of us, regardless of how we feel about the language of Father, what we need to recognize is that this isn't just any Father. This is the Father that Jesus Jesus himself, the Jesus that Luke has carefully investigated, going back to eyewitnesses to confidently conclude is the son of the living God, fully man and fully divine. This Jesus, it's the one that he intimately knows, the one that he thoroughly trusts, father in heaven. And I really hope we really see how incredible this is because the deepest possible relationship in the entire cosmos is between the Father and the Son. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, he is inviting us right into the middle of that. This, this deep connection, this deep relationship, the entire point of Christianity, the full gospel, the good news of Christianity, it's summed up in one word, the first word, of the most foundational teaching about an essential activity of prayer, and it's the word Father. 
Father. This is an incredibly helpful thing to have right up front before we pray about anything or ask for anything or express anything. When we recognize who we're praying to, what we see is that what we already have in Jesus is greater than anything we could gain or lose in life. So you want a place to feel safe and secure? How about the closest possible relationship with the strongest and wisest possible being? So you want, you, want to, you want to feel valued? You want to feel significant? How about being adopted as the child of the living God? Fully embraced, fully accepted, fully known, fully seen, supremely cherished. Because that's what we see inside this word, Father. And for those who have given their lives to Jesus, this is true. Look at what a place like 1 John 3 would say. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Every one of the requests we could ask of God will contribute to our security or to our significance. And so when we see that every single thing we could ask from God is already less than what we already have, this is an incredible perspective to keep when it comes to the idea of prayer. Because this is the reality. There's going to be a lot we won't have in life. There's going to be a lot we will lose in life, but we can still flourish. Why? Because prayer accesses the care of a good father. That's why 1 Peter 5 would say that we can cast all our anxieties, cast all our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. He's the heavenly and the good father. And Jesus, especially in Luke's gospel, is going to expand on this so that it gets on everything we think about when we think about prayer. Gets inside everything, on everything. Like, like, like hot sauce could flavor anything. Like the, the white noise could set the tone for anything. Like confetti could color everything. Like sand on that trip to the beach you took got inside the charging port of your phone. This reality of God as Father needs to get on everything we think about when we think about prayer. Because this is prayer coming to our Father in heaven. So one takeaway for me today with four challenges. The takeaway is this, that what I experience in life can change because of who I come to in prayer. What I experience in life can change because of who I come to in prayer, which leads to four challenges. Number one, to come to the Father with the words and the example of Jesus. And as somebody who thinks about communication a lot, both as a pastor who teaches and a student who writes, I am often curating and stressing and overanalyzing what to say, how to say it, when to say it, so that I don't get canceled or seen as unhelpful or un unfaithful to something. And I wonder if this is what we wonder about, what to say, how to say it when it comes to prayer. Like, like maybe, maybe you've seen how your grandfather prays. Maybe you remember that. Or maybe it's, it's how you see your mom praying or how you see a pastor talk about prayer. And it's like, well, I have no idea or maybe even I have no desire to get to that point. Like, like you know those, those prayers where it's like, oh, Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I beseech thee to just, and you're just... Do, do, I have, do I have to get there? Like, what are, what are the words I need to use? What am I supposed to do? And fortunately, we have words that we can use, both as the basics of prayer, but also for those of us who really know and follow Jesus for a lifetime of prayer. And it's the words that Jesus has given us himself. What if we 
use those words. Pray the Lord's Prayer, to pray them word by word, to pray them phrase by phrase. And eventually as we do that, to, to, to apply them to our situation, to expand on them with what's going on around us. There's no second guessing here what pleases God and what he is passionate about doing. Jesus has shown us, and when we pray, according to how our Lord has taught us to, we're doing a very powerful thing. In his book on the Lord's Prayer, Daryl Johnson has written this amazing statement. The Lord's Prayer is such a wonderful gift because in it, Jesus grants us what the mathematician philosopher Blaise Pascal called the dignity of causality. In other words, prayer does something. When we pray, God is granting us the unspeakable privilege of partnering with him in fulfilling his purposes in the world. No prayer has given us that privilege more than the Lord's Prayer. As we pray this prayer, we are joining the living God and bringing about the realization of his heart's desire for the world. Again, what we experience in life can change, can be revolutionized as heaven invades earth because of who we are coming to in prayer. And this idea of God as Father extends all the way back to to the Old Testament book of Exodus, where God's people, Israel, were enslaved in Egypt and they needed rescue. And and God comes and refers to them as, Israel is my firstborn son. And from then on, anytime God was thought of as Father, this invoked the God of the Exodus. The rescuer, the liberator, the deliverer, the one whose kingdom was coming. Bread for the hungry, sight for the blind, deliverance from the powers of darkness, forgiveness of sins, all themes that Luke has pointed us to and all things that come about as we pray, as this important phrase from Matthew's version of the prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer to this father results in a very different world than the one that we see and the one that we often feel helpless in. And while we can't always control life, we can control how much we pray. Which leads me to to think through, through Jesus' prayer and really realize, wow, if I've got words to say, if I know what God has shown me, if I've got this instruction and this idea of God as Father that is in everything, I've got such a confidence and an awareness of what I can do when I come to pray. And I think it's amazing what Jesus is teaching because we see here and discover here that what God wants us to pray shows us what God wants us to have. So, Father, your name, like your character and nature, it's kept holy in heaven. Could you let it be so in the locker room of my hockey team? Father, your kingdom has come. The the, the place where your rule and and your blessing is experienced fully, it's that way in heaven. Could you let it be so in the darkness and struggles of my family? Make things happen here the way they are happening there. What a powerful thing we could say to God. Pray with the words and the example of Jesus. Challenge number two, come to the Father with humble confidence. And I wish we had time to examine the Lord's Prayer more fully. But but one of the things I would not want to miss is the verbs. And this is where we get kind of technical and nerdy, which is great. Because if we were to see things like the, the phrases, be hallowed or kingdom come, what we would see in the original language is both the imperative mood and the passive voice. 
And if you're thinking like, I have no idea what that means. Okay, I got you, right? Here, here's what this means. Luke's original audience would have, would have thought this was so radical. First, the imperative mood. This was the tone of command. And so in that day and age, the ancient Greeks so regarded this tone, they would never use it when addressing a superior. So when Jesus is telling us, hey, come to the ultimate superior, and by the way, when you pray, you can use this imperative mood, you can use the language of command, this is a radical idea. So it's like, wow, we're praying with boldness. Father, do this. Father, hallow your name. Father, bring your kingdom. Do this. But combined with this imperative mood is the passive voice. And this is where we both get a, a bit of a less uh, impolite tone, where we, where we actually get a bit of reverence and, and humbleness mixed with our confidence. But more importantly, what we get is this awareness in the passive voice that what we're asking for is something that we cannot do. Father, do this because I am helpless to do it. Father, do this because only you can do this. And as, as we see these things, it's like no wonder we can have such humble confidence. No wonder the New Testament teaches us things like drawing near to the throne of grace with confidence that we can find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. This is also expanded in some stories in Luke called parables about prayer. And again, Jesus isn't just telling us words to say. He's giving us a perspective to keep. So look at where this first story comes right after this model prayer in Luke 11. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For who, everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, don't miss this phrase, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Like what an encouragement. In this culture, this type of thing wouldn't have been uncommon. But the point of the parable is not that God is like the person in the house who needs to be persuaded to give. Now what Jesus is pointing us to is that the, we need to be persistent because God actually longs. He's a father. He actually longs to give good gifts to his children, the greatest of which is the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to our third challenge, to come to the Father with honest and persistent faith. And this point is made in Luke 11, the story we've just read. But there's another story in Luke 18 that drives us home from a different angle. Verse 1, And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. I, I love this, that Jesus is realistic. Like, hey guys, you are going to find times where you're going to need to pray often. And in those times, you're going to be prone to discouragement. So here, let me tell you a story that will tell you what prayer is like. He said in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. The language there is like boxing language. So that she won't beat me up by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. 
And will not God give justice to his elect? This is the Bible's way of describing God's people, the Father's children. Will he not give justice to them who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? These two stories tell us something about who we're praying to. If in the end a sleepy friend can get up and respond to a continual request, if in the end an unjust judge can be persuaded by the continual coming of a widow who had no power but just kept persisting, if these types of people can, can respond to a request, how much more can a good and heavenly Father who loves us respond to us in prayer? This is an encouragement to be bold and to be persistent. And this is a radical idea when Jesus was teaching because back then rabbis often taught, you know, don't pray more than three times a day. This is a tradition going back all the way to like Daniel's time. Don't pray more than three times a day because this is tedious to both God and, and to us. Like God shouldn't be bothered more than that. But Jesus is saying, be persistent. Continually come. Why? Because God is good and wants to respond. And we might be wondering, well, why do we need to come so often if God is so good? And there's, there's something that Christianity recognizes here. One scholar puts it this way, prayer is beset with opposition and discouragement. Pleas for justice, like in this parable in Luke 18, they go unheard. Answers are delayed. People cry out day and night. Maybe that's you. You've been praying for a long time for something. Prayer is an existential battle, ongoing and ever present. See, Christianity takes into account the spiritual realm and the fact that prayer is an act of warfare in this realm. It's why we see in places like Ephesians 6 that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits of the heavenly places, which is why the encouragement is to what? Pray at all times in the spirit. There's a story you should look at sometime in, in, in Daniel, uh, the Old Testament book of Daniel, where he's praying for three weeks for something. And eventually, after, after this time passes, a spiritual messenger shows up and, and tells Daniel, Daniel, look, you're greatly loved. Your prayer has been heard. And an answer was given. But for 21 days, something was happening in the spiritual realm. And the answer and the response was resisted. See, our, our prayers, all of them matter. But we can't always know what's going on. There's, there is something that we cannot experience with our five senses that happens when we pray. So Jesus is telling us, look, never get tired of praying because God never gets tired of listening. God is not an unjust judge who you have to beat down and catch on a good day to be heard. God is not uh, a, a sleepy friend that you have to catch at a convenient time to get a result. He's a good father. And if we keep the perspective that what we experience in life can change because of who we come to in prayer, then we can endure the battle of prayer with a right understanding of reality. Here's, here's something that's helped me understand what Jesus is getting at here in prayer. So I was growing up, we had chores and, and one of the chores I actually liked was chopping wood. There was something about being outside, doing something that made a visible and practical difference. And plus, I mean, you get to use a weapon. But sometimes I'd swing and the ax would get stuck. The wood didn't split on the first hit. And sometimes this is like prayer. We don't always get the result 
we want or the result we expect. But that should not cause us to stop. That should not cause us to give up. Look, in light of all of what we've seen, God does not need to give us unlimited access, but he does. God doesn't need to listen to us, but he does. God doesn't need to care about our well-being, but he does. God should not give us permission to be bold, but he does. God didn't have to invite us into a father-child relationship, but he did. Because of who we are praying to, every swing is important. Every prayer could be the last one. Because of who we are praying to, every problem is small enough to be one prayer away from solution. Look, the prayers you are praying right now, they're not a waste. And like, like the initial swings of the axe eventually contribute to that log splitting, the prayers you've prayed before, they're not a waste. We don't know what each prayer does or how much it actually affects. But as one pastor so beautifully put it, if we only knew what was happening when we pray, we would never cease to pray. We don't know what's gonna happen in the next hour, in the next week, or the next month, or the next year. But because we know who we're praying to, a good father who has good intentions for us, only he knows what is good for us in the long run. And sometimes persistence is gonna need to be involved with the perspective of who we're praying to. Let me take you back to the scene in the kitchen with my deaf ear and my lack of hearing. I realized that I, I would have to call a doctor. I realized that, okay, I'm gonna go to bed, I'm gonna set my alarm, and tomorrow I gotta do something different. So I set my alarm for 7 a.m., and before I go to sleep, I decide, you know what, I think I need to pray about this. So, so I go and I, and I pray, and nothing happens. Nothing changes. I'm asking God to heal me and to fix this problem that I have no control over. So I pray and nothing happens. So I, I, I go to sleep, but I go to sleep after praying, not feeling hopeless anymore, but feeling hopeful. And that was weird because I didn't experience any change in my hearing. I wake up and it's midnight. I look at the clock. Wow, okay, so only a few hours have passed. You know what, I still can't hear. I'm gonna pray again and nothing changes. But this time, I have even more hope. And I have this sort of weird confidence that I've rarely ever had where I, I believe that God wanted to do something before my alarm went off at 7 a.m. Like God wanted to fix this. So I'm like, okay, I'll go to sleep and maybe things will be better. I wake up, I look at the clock, 2 a.m. Still can't hear. Oh man, okay, well, you know what? I'm gonna swing again. I'm gonna hit this again. I'm gonna pray again. And guess what? Nothing happened. Okay, I'm gonna... I still feel confident though, okay? Well, I'm just gonna go back to sleep. I wake up again, 5 a.m. Nothing's changed. And wow, what? I'm running out of time. And I have this confidence, but I've also got this mix of tension going, okay, I'm gonna pray one more time. I've got hope and I still feel like God's gonna do something. I pray again, nothing changes. And the next thing that happened was my alarm goes off at 7 a.m and it's loud. And I realize the only reason it's loud is because I can hear again. 
I can hear again, something has changed, something has shifted across all these different prayers. Eventually that log split. Eventually God did come through and respond to the prayer I had prayed repeatedly. And my hearing was restored completely. And to this day, I have, I have other stories like that, but I also have stories that are not like that. Stories of where people I cared about died when they could have gotten better. Stories of where people I had concern for could have changed, but yet they're still in struggle. There's so many stories even in progress right now where I haven't seen something happen. But here's the encouragement, I believe, from how Jesus is teaching us to pray, to pray with his words, to pray with humble confidence, to pray with honest and persistent faith. Here's the encouragement, I think, as we keep the, re the perspective that we're praying to Father, is that he's not just our Father if the log splits. He's not just our Father if we get the result we want. He's our Father now. He's our Father before we pray. He's our Father while we pray. He's our Father regardless of what happens after we pray. The relationship we already have, this big picture perspective, the relationship we have surpasses a result we could get. So could I encourage you to become a person who prays? who comes to the Father, who comes with the words and the example of Jesus, who comes with humble confidence, who comes with honest and persistent faith. Because this is 